Welcome to Off the Deep End. I'm your host, Erin Monahan. I'm an anti-girl boss, business and mindset coach, a writer, speaker, and professional toxic masculinity interrupter. And I'm here to offer my feminist analysis and insight into all things entrepreneurship, relationships, astrology, politics, and whatever else I feel like going off the deep end about. Before I launch into this week's topic, I just want to share with you that if you are on your entrepreneurial journey and you're feeling stuck and burnt out and you're feeling like you need some guidance, I invite you to book a free clarity call with me. In this 45-minute to 60-minute chat, we're going to get really, really, really clear about what's got you stuck, and then we're going to map out a plan for you to move forward. And if it feels like a good fit, at the end of the call, I can chat with you about the options that are available for us to work together. So you can book your free clarity call at the link in the show notes, or you can also find the link in my Instagram bio. Hey, hey, friends. In this episode of Off the Deep End, I'm going to be talking about slow growth and also relinquishing expectations. So let's get into it. First, I want to start by saying a little bit about slow growth and what this means to me. So slow growth is something that I've been really sinking into over the last year. And this is maybe about five years into me building Terra Incognita Media and being on an entrepreneurial journey with that. And the landscape of entrepreneurial pursuits is full of toxic messages about hustling hard, overworking, taking up every free hour to squeeze in as much as you can. And if you don't hustle to the brink of exhaustion, then you're not working hard enough and you just don't want it bad enough. This is the kind of energy that we are told that we need to embody from the systems of oppression that we live in through capitalism and white supremacy culture. And if anyone knows who Gary Vaynerchuk is, he is a quintessential person who exemplifies this mentality. And he is all about hustling and he is a spokesperson for entrepreneurship, but he is a cis white man who never addresses systems of oppression and how he benefits from them as a cis white man. So his messages are extremely toxic and can be really damaging to people when we're not taking into consideration that we exist in systems of oppression that impact people in different ways and will impact you and your ability to show up to your life and your work and your goals and your entrepreneurship. And so while he does talk about the fact that entrepreneurship is about taking risks and is about embracing failure, yes, to both of those things. And yes, we, I appreciate that he often also talks about how we shouldn't be doing things for the approval of others. But he is absolutely missing some key considerations when it comes to privilege and money and resources and time. And the positions that we're in and the identities that we hold have a huge impact on how we approach entrepreneurship. And for me, as a cis het white woman from an upper middle class background, I have a much easier time accessing entrepreneurship than other people. So 
just want to acknowledge all of that and say that it's just not humanly possible to always go, go, go. And it's something that I learned and realized that was quickly leading me to burnout. It's really not the way that I want to live my life or have a relationship with my business or the people that I help or the outer world. I want to have meaningful, considerate, reciprocal, and nourishing exchanges. And your relationship with your business is a relationship. Your business is something that you're birthing, that you're that you're putting out in the world and you're creating something. And it is something that you have a relationship with and needs to be treated like that in that way where you're, you want to put forward a nourishing reciprocal kind of energy with your business so that it feeds you and fuels you too. And it's not just this extractive burnout relationship where you're giving your all and getting nothing in return. Or you feel like you have to work your ass off and that if something isn't going your way, it must mean that you're just not working hard enough. And that's just not true. Really sinking into this idea of slow growth has helped me to step back, to take a pause when it comes to how I'm working and what I'm working on, what I'm focusing my energy on, and what will be most beneficial for the long-term health of myself and my business and my relationships and the health of the world that I'm working to create because all of those things are connected. So this toxic masculine, patriarchal, white-centric approach to business of hustle and grind culture has never worked for me. So we don't, we unfortunately don't often talk about how long things actually take. And I want to share a little anecdote from my life that will help illustrate this point. When I graduated from college, I knew I wanted to be a writer. I knew it was not going to be the most profitable job from the get-go, but I loved writing. I have always found it to be my truest form of self-expression. So since leaving college, there was nothing to hold me accountable to writing and improving my craft. So I read some blogs and they all told me that I needed to make time to write. I just needed to create a blog and create assignments for myself. And in the similar way of when you're trying to get better at anything, the key to getting better at anything is to just practice that thing, to just do that thing. So when it comes to climbing, you're going to get better at climbing if you climb. <laughs> when it comes to practicing an instrument, you want to get better at that, you just got to play the instrument. You just got to play it. And so when it came to writing, I just had to be more disciplined. I just had to create a structure and discipline for myself to write. So this meant that I needed to create a blog and create assignments for myself. And the idea of starting a blog at first was exhausting, like just the idea of it. I looked at everyone else's blogs and I thought, I'm so far behind everyone else. Why would anyone want to read what I have to say anyways? And those are thoughts that will really keep us stuck. That I, I know that many of us struggle with before we create anything, before we put ourselves out there and we do that thing that is at our core, the thing that we want to do most. The thing that we're so afraid to pursue because if we fail, 
it would be heartbreaking. It would be devastating. So while the idea of a blog was exhausting and it felt really daunting and also, yeah, putting in a lot of work up front without getting any return on investment or getting any pay for it was also hard to wrap my head around. So we live in this instant gratification, click of a button, social media, instant culture. And it was really something that I had to uh, work on my mindset to shift it into this doing things for the long haul and it will benefit me in the long term. And that slow build that building of something that is that's really meaningful and that will that you'll see the fruits of your labor in time. So, I gave it a shot <laughs> and I had nothing to lose. So, I would get up at 5 in the morning. I'm a morning person, but maybe you're a night owl. That's okay. Everybody has their own prime time for getting their creative work done. For me, that's early in the morning. So I would get up at 5 a.m., I went to the coffee shop, I'd get there by 6 a.m., and I would dedicate two and a half hours to writing before I worked at the Montessori school as their outdoor assistant from 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. And then I would go to my nanny gig for a few hours, and then I worked at a climbing gym for a few hours, got some climbing in after I worked, and then I woke up and I did it all over again. (laughs) And I'm exhausted thinking about this schedule now. I really like getting up early still, but yeah, I don't have three different jobs today. And also I'm older and I don't have the same energy I did in my early 20s. So it just really required me though to create a structure for myself, to create a routine and to be disciplined about the thing that I wanted to create and put out in the world. Because when it comes to something that you want to start, when it comes to, especially for those of us who are creatives, freelancers, entrepreneurs, no one's going to tell you to do it. No one's going to be calling you up and holding you accountable and saying, did you do that thing today? Did you get that thing done on your list of things to do? Did you write that article? Did you publish your website? Did you post that thing? Did you practice your craft? Like nobody is going to be over our shoulder encouraging us to do that. So we have to be our own cheerleader. We have to be our own coach. And of course, after a while, I realized that I did need help and I did need someone to hold me accountable. So then eventually I did hire my own coach. But in the beginning, it was just me. And I really had to, I I listened to a lot of TED Talks, listened to a lot of podcasts and yeah, it was just a really, it was a very grueling solo show for a very long time, as entrepreneurship often is. But you don't have to go at it alone. There's a lot of people out there who are doing it as well. And I think it's a huge thing that I wish I would have done more intentionally in the beginning to build community around the work I was doing, to build community with fellow entrepreneurs. But it is hard in the beginning to find that community. So at first it's it's just you and your vision and it can be very lonely and very isolating, but if it's something that really brings you joy and if it's something that you're really being called to create, then I encourage you to keep going and to just set those boundaries for yourself. Set yourself up in the ways that you need to in whatever small ways you can. 
So for me, that was squeezing out two and a half hours in the early morning before I would work. So what would be a good schedule for you? What's, what's your prime time for your creative process to unfold? Yeah, and this is also to illustrate that I didn't just acquire the skill of writing that I have now. I didn't just come out of the womb with the best writing skills. I definitely grew up with a knack for it. And people told me that I was good at writing and that I should keep going with it. And I was very much encouraged to be a writer. And I loved words. I loved writing. But I got to a point where if I wanted to be really good at at writing and be really good at putting content out into the world for a mass audience and growing a community around it, I really had to put in some long hours that went unnoticed. And I still do to this day. And there's so many shitty drafts that I've written where it's just embarrassing, the things that I've written and I've had to throw out. So, yeah, like I didn't, I mean, yeah, during those early days, I had to create boundaries and structure for myself. I swore to never look at social media during that time. And my goal was to figure out my voice and get better at writing. And the only way to do that, like I said, was to actually write. And also a key to that was also to read, of course. So I read a lot too. Reading is a huge part of becoming a better writer. That is a key a key piece that I think often is taken for granted. That when it comes to writing, actually reading as much as you can hugely impacts and benefits your writing. So when I sat down with intention to better myself, to improve my craft... My goals felt so far away. I was like, no way. Like, am I ever going to have like a platform where people like want to read my stuff? I was like, no way. Does what I have to say matter? Like nobody cares. And now that's so far from the truth. I've, Terra Cognita Media, I am proud to say is a thriving platform. And people have sent me so many beautiful, encouraging heartwarming messages about how it has literally changed their life and how it has affirmed them and validated them. And that has always been my goal. And I cannot believe that that is something that I get to hear and that my words can reach people across the world. I am in such deep gratitude for the ability to do that. And it's so deeply embedded in my purpose is to share my story, to share thoughts and to hopefully help people through their journeys and their process of being a human in this world and experiencing life and talking about all the things that I find important and addressing things that are too often swept under the rug. So I was definitely driven by something deeper than my insecurities. I knew deep down that I was a writer, or at least I really fucking wanted to be. (laughs) So I sat down and I did it every day, no matter how much I sucked at first. Because I really sucked at first. I look back at old essays and cringe so much that it hurts. (laughs) Or old poems. And they were, it was was bad. It's pretty bad. So today I feel pretty content and proud of some of the things that I've written. But there are always the occasional pieces that I look at and think, what the fuck is that? <laughs> like, 
what is that? But I don't let it completely consume me anymore. So when we're putting ourselves out there and we're making time to heed the calling of our purpose and we're looking for what container would best suit our purpose, you can't be attached to the outcome. You have to just stay present and stay focused on the little steps that you can do every day to get you to your goal. But you can't be attached to that goal or attached to when that goal is going to happen. So I didn't get wrapped up in it because I knew that the breadth of who I am and the work that I do is not defined by a single piece of writing. And that's why the beauty of building community is so huge because once you start putting your work out there and you start developing relationships with people, you start developing a community, people will start to get to know you through the whole of your work, the scope of your work. So it's not just you putting out one essay and then are you putting out one post or one piece of yourself or one piece of your work and then people judging you for it. Although, of course, like we should always be held accountable for anything that we put out in the world. But that's just to say that when we're feeling fear around putting something out in the world, whether it's um, a song that we wrote, a poem, an essay, uh, a business idea, anything that you're creating and that you're putting out in the world, it doesn't have to define you. It doesn't, and you can always change your mind. You can always try something new. You can always try something else. So really remembering that you are not defined by that and, and you can change up the, the course and the trajectory of your creative endeavors at any point. And I knew that success, quote unquote, is not an end point. It's a journey. It's an ongoing process. There will be mess ups. There will be failures and bombs and shitty essays along the way. And not everything that I've written or that I write in the future will be gold. And that's okay because I'm a human fucking being. And yeah, I think the fear of failure can really keep us stuck too. But if you don't put yourself out there and do that thing, then you'll, you're keeping yourself from your own success. You're keeping yourself from your dreams. Avoiding the vulnerability of putting yourself out there is delaying your dreams, delaying the person that you want to become, delaying the world that you want to create through your work. So, and ultimately it's delaying your fulfillment. So if this is something that feels like it would be meaningful and fulfilling to you, then moving through those insecurities and seeing the opportunity in, in your vulnerability, seeing opportunities in your vulnerability instead of seeing fear or of rejection, which is a real thing. But instead of, instead of thinking and assuming that you're going to be rejected or instead of focusing on that fear of rejection or that fear of failure, that fear of fucking up, instead of think of what if I what if I am received well? What if people love my work? What if I am worthy of being received? What if I am, what if there are people out there who will respond well to what I create, what I put out in the world? So as I look 
over the entire, now it's been about 10 years or so that I started intentionally dedicating myself to writing and dedicating myself to an entrepreneurial path, I see much progress and improvement. And truly, it's only been in the last two years since working deeply on Terra Incognita Media that my voice has really taken shape and honed itself. So even just in the last year alone, I've noticed shifts and improvements. And it's a never-ending process. And it's a huge relief to look back and see that despite my initial fears, my initial insecurities and self-doubt, I still made the choice to start that damn blog. I still came up with ideas and wrote about them. And I did it because I knew deep down that I was meant to do it. And I knew that even the greatest writers weren't always great. They also had many shitty drafts. They also had many failed attempts. They also were imperfect. So we don't often talk about our failures, the missed shots, or the plans that went awry, because maybe we think it's too vulnerable. And if people were to see that we haven't always been a master at something, then they won't believe we are any good at that thing anymore. We fear that we will lose credibility. If people read my shitty writing, maybe they won't think I'm an actual writer. And this is so not true. Showing the humanity of the process just shows that what it takes to acquire expert skills or to master anything isn't superhuman powers or magic. It's dedication, slow growth, and intention. Wrapping my head around entrepreneurship is the same process for me. I only started consciously owning my identity as an entrepreneur a year ago. And I had had so many hesitations with taking on the word entrepreneur because I felt like it, it was associated with girl boss-ism and Sophia Amoroso or Gary Vaynerchuk. Girl boss just really doesn't sit right with me, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> and... It's a mindset that's ro deeply rooted in capitalism and white supremacy and climbing the ladder. And Sophia Amoroso, who coined Girl Boss, is a pretty heinous example of entrepreneurship because being a girl boss is about individualistic gain, not the collective liberation of all women, non binary, and gender non conforming people. And it has been so hard to find examples of entrepreneurship that really spoke to my values. It was really hard at first. Now I have plenty of examples of people who are incredible entrepreneurs that are inspiring to me. One of the foremost people that comes to mind is Erica Hart, who I know you've heard me speak about a lot on my platforms. So... Yeah, and, and in the past, something that has kept me from this identity of being an entrepreneur as well is, is a sort of imposter syndrome when it came to that word, or I would have imposter syndrome around being a leader, which really imposter syndrome for anybody who's experiencing that is just the experience of being marginalized in this world. So for the people who are most marginalized, like Black women, trans Black women and femmes, they're going to experience imposter syndrome much more because of being gaslit and diminished in a white supremacist patriarchal society. So myself as a woman 
being gaslit my whole life by patriarchy, it really does not lend itself well to you owning your truth, owning your own sense of leadership and authority or taking risks. So those are all, those are all things that I'm constantly working through. And it's easier today because now I've done a lot of intentional work around it and I have to do intentional work around it every day. But something that really held me back from owning my leadership and owning my role as a leader and owning myself as an entrepreneur, owning that identity was me being a part-time nanny. And that to me just didn't, I just didn't feel like a real entrepreneur because I was still working for someone else. And that's just not true. You can work 40 hours a week. You can work 80 hours a week. You can work however many hours a week for someone else and still be an entrepreneur. And you can be an entrepreneur and anti-capitalist at the same time. We are all forced to live and participate in this oppressive society. And the question that you have to ask yourself is how do you want to navigate that? You can still build a business and be anti-capitalist. You can still build a business and make money and profit and thrive and live by your values. It is possible. People do it every day, all the time. Another thing that really held me back from owning this identity of entrepreneurship was when I moved back home last year. So this time last year, I had moved home and that was a hit to my ego because in my head, entrepreneurs don't move in with their parents. That's not true. (laughs) That's not true. I was definitely still an entrepreneur. And I was definitely making an income from my entrepreneurial pursuits while living at home. There's no shame about moving home in this economy. No, no shame at all. And also there is this whole, now that I look back at this idea, um, I kind of like laugh because it's not something that I would ever be, I would ever feel self-conscious about now. But when I was thinking about being an entrepreneur, I was always like, oh, I don't have like the the right fashion to be an entrepreneur. I don't know, like, like I wear crew neck sweatshirts most days. And I think that there's this very skewed idea that if you're an entrepreneur, like that's where like that girl boss feminism comes into play where you have to wear like long flowy dresses or the latest fashion, which I fucking love fashion. I love shopping, but I just don't tend to wear a put together outfit every day. I wear crew neck sweatshirts that I got at a thrift store. So maybe your journey does not look like the mainstream entrepreneurship that we're fed. And that's totally okay. There are many, many forms of entrepreneurship. There are many unique expressions of it. And yours is completely valid. And it's just about looking out, expanding your scope and realizing that a lot of the people that you might admire are actually entrepreneurs and and just expanding your definition of what an entrepreneur is. So I also really love Chani Nicholas's work and she's an astrologer I'll talk about a lot too. And she's an entrepreneur. She's she's running a business. She's an astrologer who has her own business and is an entrepreneur in that way. So just expanding the scope of what we are talking about when we're saying the word entrepreneur can really help us to ease the anxiety 
if there is any anxiety around claiming this word for yourself. Because I think, yeah, we often associate entrepreneurship with cis white men in suits or businesses. And while I never have had a business background, I've been a self-taught entrepreneur. I've been a self-taught business person who did eventually take a business class a couple of years ago. And for the most part, though, I've been self-taught. And yeah, like we need to get rid of that association with that expression of entrepreneurship and instead make it our own and look to all the myriad, beautiful, unique and bright examples of people who aren't cis white men in suits because they're so we can do business differently and it's really important to work and build in a way that keeps collective liberation in mind and just getting rid of the way that business as usual conditions us to rehash the same extractive exploitative systems that are harming us and harming the planet and harming our communities. And we need to dismantle these things. We need to work towards dismantling white supremacy, capitalism, colonialism, patriarchy. And we can do this while working in our businesses and while innovating and doing entrepreneurship in a way that hasn't been done traditionally. So entrepreneurship is a healing journey and it's a pursuit that we can do while being rooted with more intention, more consciousness, and we can be rooted in a connection to our bodies, our minds, and our spirits. And if it doesn't feel good and if it doesn't align with your values, you don't have to do it that way. This whole process is about tapping into your intuition and unlearning the things that don't serve you and don't serve the collective and not falling into the belief that the way things have always been done is the way you have to do things going forward. It's so not true. There are so many people doing things in beautiful ways and healing ways. And I encourage you to look into new ways of doing things, new methods, and and really just unlearning a lot of the things that we've been taught through oppressive conditioning. So I know that there are a lot of creative artists and writers and innovators who listen to this podcast, and I'm curious what entrepreneurial ideas are you bringing to life? And what, if anything, is holding you back? I hope that this episode was helpful for you in some way. And yeah, that's pretty much all that I, I'm wanting to share in, in summary of this case that I'm making for slow growth and intention and dedication. And I hope that this is going to help you move through your feelings of insecurities. If, if there's any feelings of fear coming up for you or fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of fucking up. And I hope that you feel more empowered and dedicated to move through these feelings and to just trust yourself and to trust your process and to know that it takes time and 
it requires vulnerability and that's hard and it can be painful, but it's so worthwhile. And honing your authentic voice and your authentic leadership just takes time and you're doing it little by little. So please, I encourage you, I invite you to expand your definition of entrepreneurship and begin following true anti-capitalist role models who are also entrepreneurs because we can be anti-capitalist and an entrepreneur at the same time. And we don't need to do business the way it's always been done. We can be about collective liberation instead of solely about individualistic gain. And we really must, we must. I hope this was helpful. I'm sending you so much love and I will talk to you soon. Bye. If you want to stay in the loop about all things anti-girlboss method and feminist killjoy business school, you can subscribe to the email list. So there's a link in my Instagram bio that's really quick and easy to use. Or you can also just visit the show notes for a link as well.